Hello, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Hope everyone is well. Uh, I'm excited to have this individual on today. Um, we've known of each other for probably three or four years now, and um, they've just always been really positive. And as weird as it might sound, I, I knew there was a story to be told from this individual. So thought to, to ask to have him on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Miranda Connors. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, let's start at the beginning for okay. you. Um, we, we got to talk a little bit before the, the show and, uh, you had told me that there was some, some things that had happened in early youth. So what do you remember about like early childhood and your parents? Uh, well, my beginning is traumatic. Okay. Uh, my first memory in life is kind of like a scene from The Shining. Uh, my dad was trying to break through the door, threatening to kill my mom and sister, and that's like the first remember like memory I have. And like after that, our family was kind of on the rocks. My dad got arrested that night for a domestic, and then wound up going to prison like shortly after for a bunch of DUIs and domestic assault charges. And then he made a new family and moved on. My mom, she kind of went her own way with us, but she was an addict the whole way and struggled with like body dysmorphia and mm. anorexia and bulimia. So she was in and out of the hospital constantly. Um, yeah, we kind of moved in with our grandparents uh, after the divorce. Well, they weren't married after the split. Oh, okay. Um, and then we stayed with them for a few years until my mom was able to find a house. And then she met a guy while we were in between who wound up being our stepdad. We all moved in together, but that was another bad situation. He didn't like me. I wasn't his birth kid. Oh, you know? no. So it was like a never-ending spiral. So my other memory, my memory with him was staying in a gateway while our house was being built, and then him, like, cornering me in the bathroom when I was, like, five, asking if my mom had ever slept with other men. Oh, my God. And I was five, so I was like, has mom shared a bed with anybody? Yes, my dad. You know, and when I said yes, he beat me, and then my mom came back. She he went off on her, and yeah. Jesus Christ, man. yeah. <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny? Like I, when you were describing that, I was like, okay, and then she turns thirteen. This was all before, like by the time. You oh, were five? I'm not even six yet. Yeah. Jesus fuck. And you know, for the let like the next five years, we lived in the house. And my dad was pretty absent. He would say he was going to come visit Christmas, Thanksgiving, or whatever. But it would always be like that petting the window and he never shows up kind oh, of thing. You know? Yeah. So it was like we'd always be waiting for him, but he'd never come. Um, And then at like 10, my stepdad, I got tired of him hitting on my siblings and my mom. Uh-huh. And so I started standing up to him and kind of being like the defender of the household. And uh, he didn't like that. So three years later, he had me thrown out because he said I was a unchangeable or what? An unchangeable, troublesome child who will never be fixed. And it wound up being this explosive thing. So 13 years old, I took off to the streets and lived couch to couch till I was maybe like 16. So, OK, so <laughs> so much. I know. I know. Um, but. So before we move forward to um, <laughs> yeah, when you became an adult at the age of 13. Yeah, yeah. Fucking A. <laughs> um, 
What, so what do you remember of your mom? You mentioned that she was an addict. Yeah, she drank a lot. I mean, every morning she was known at her job for smelling like liquor. She was in a domestic situation, you know, and she was trying to escape and she used alcohol as a means to go about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would be drunk from the minute she woke up until she passed out at night. I mean, I don't ever really remember her being sober. And with that came no time with her. There was no quality time, you know, cause she was always passed out or she was always, you know, trying to hide in her bedroom or something like that. Like we were usually locked out of the house for most of the day and not allowed to come back in until dinner, you know? So it was like, she needed her time to sleep it off all the time. But my stepmom, dad, stepdad, and mom, they were all alcoholics. Jeez. So, yeah. And they all were abusive to each other. I mean, none of them were nice. So. I mean, it, it, this was in Minnesota or in a- Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lived uh, from like 5 to 10 pretty steadily in St. Cloud. Okay. Because after we got our house built at like 5 or 6, it was off of 25th by 1044. We stayed oh. there, yeah, for, well, they all stayed there collectively until I was like 16, but like I said, at 13, I was out on my own, but yeah. Um, Sorry, my mic's being weird. Sorry, I just uh. punched mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, what was school like? It was difficult because carrying books was hard since I didn't have a home. So, like, bringing backpacks anywhere was pretty much impossible because I would either have to keep track of that or, like, haul it back and forth, and that's heavy crap. So I'd have to leave, like, the brunt of it at school and then come in early or stay late and, like, hide out on the lawn or something while, ex- like, extracurricular activities were going on. Oh, my God. And then I'd have to slam do my homework and then throw it back in my locker and go to my location. And most of the time, from 13 to 16, I was going to school, and then I was babysitting full-time for somebody, two people, because... I needed an income. Mm -hmm. So I babysat for a lady named Ava and her son and two daughters uh, like every night after school because that was my home for a while. And then she would never pay me. She just took advantage of me. But I was only 13, so it was like I didn't know any better, you know. But like finally we had a huge falling out because I got tired of working for free. And then on the weekends, my friend or this other lady uh, that my mom knew at the time she had me babysit for her on the weekend or for her on the weekend. So Friday through Sunday night, I would babysit for her, you okay. know? And so I quit working for Ava cause she would never pay me. And then I continued working for Jessica because she did. Um, but then that ran out too. Cause I finally wound up getting an under the table job at Savers. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> so I just sorted stuff back there for a while, you know, in the back room or whatever. My mom had been a manager there, so she just worked some stuff out so I could come help with a Halloween display or something like that, seasonal, and I would just save up. So she was that scared of your stepdad that she couldn't... She wouldn't let me back in the house, no. Um, yeah, he... I remember, like, I would go work for her or whatever and help her out and, like, try and help out with the kids or whatever, and I'd be able to come and visit, like, briefly for 20 minutes at the end of, like, 10 o'clock to 10.30, and I would come and visit her at the house... And just have like a cup of tea and then drive back to my grandparents or whoever's house I was staying at at the time, friend's house or whatever. And the whole time she'd just be on her computer playing poker games and talking to people online. She wouldn't even acknowledge I was there. And then, you know, if I came there unannounced or whatever, it was really hostile. My stepdad did not want me around. It'd be physical. Like, 
I remember him and her got into a, like a knife fight at one point, and I wound up having to like run out of the house because he like pulled a knife on my mom, and I wanted the kids to be safe, and he retaliated against me, and so I fled, and he like threw me into the drive or into the street in oncoming traffic, and I remember after that I didn't come back for a long time. I just stayed at far, far away. I didn't even talk to most of our family, really. So, I mean, how... Ugh, fuck. <laughs> I, it it's just... grim shit. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just trying to think of, like, there's no... There was no outside source that tried to, my, to help with this shit? When we were really little, my aunt and uncle tried to help. Um, they called like DHS and had us like had an investigation. But the thing with that is, is they always would call in advance and let them know they were coming. So they would just pack their shit in the shed and lock it up. Or they would like put everything in there. They literally would fill their cars completely full of beer cans, like in the back seat and in the passenger seat and drive the car, park it somewhere else so that they couldn't get busted. You know, like they would just hide everything. So when we'd make reports or whatever, they would come do their investigation. You know, if they saw anything, they'd be like, you need to fix this, this, and this by this time. They would. And then nothing would happen. You know, and after a while, my aunt kind of gave up. And my uncle, his only way of, like, feeling better about the situation was to, like, try and make us conform to what he thought we should be. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was so tired of being a target. I was super goth. You know, just because I was like, if I'm scary, no one's going to fuck with me. You know, I lived on the street. So it was like punk, goth, whatever, just be tough because then no one comes for you. And so it was kind of my cloak. But my uncle hated it. He went out of his way to like buy me pink clothes and just stuff that I freaking hated. And he'd always like try and get me to do things that like go to church and shit like that. It was like, I don't no. My grandma loved bringing us to church. She thought we really needed it. And it was like part of the rules and regulations when we did actually. She took us in at 16 for a couple years. Oh, you and your siblings? Well, just me and my one sister. My uh, 10 years and 12 years younger, uh, they stayed with my stepdad. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my little sister, the one that's two years younger, it's all so confusing. I'm trying to like keep a flow that makes sense. But my two years younger sister lived with me and my grandma for like a year or so. And then my grandma got mad at her, called my mom, who at that time had abandoned our whole family, said she was going on a business trip, uh, and then called us like around Christmas and said she was never coming back. So she left me completely responsible for all my siblings with an abusive alcoholic stepdad because I was the oldest and I had to help them through that. But then she decided it was her time to take her daughter back after she abandoned us. And my my grandma was mad at her. So she basically came, kidnapped her and drove her all the way to Missouri. Oh, my God. Yeah. And my sister called, like, crying her eyes out. Like, I can't believe this is happening. And so we had a really difficult relationship. Like, we literally would, like, call each other and play fucking scrubs or something together (sighs) and just, like, cry laugh at shows because we couldn't see each other anymore. Yeah. And then my, my mom, she, like, took her and then made her drop out and work as a waitress or something she was like 17 so it was all really it's all messed up but fuck man yeah (laughs) it's always funny to me like when people can like have these conversations yeah and not break down crying be like that's pretty fucked up huh and then just (laughs) just lots of fucking therapy okay so i have more questions yeah go for it so with 
um, what what was your view on alcohol then growing up? Like, do you recall being young and hating it? Oh yeah, I was so mad at alcohol. I I remember I had enough of my stepdad calling me a fat slob and an ugly pig or whatever. Like he took all of it out on me. Like just took me down all the pegs every day. And uh, I got sick of it one day. And I remember taking his freaking case of beer and going out in the middle of the street and smashing them all over the street. It was like, what is that road? It's right. Well, it's right by 1044 in that park. But yeah, I just yeah, remember yeah. going out there and just cr- slamming them all on the ground. He came out on fire. I didn't come home that night. I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, I just had enough. I was like, this is being ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So I like how you bleeped yourself. Right I don't there. know why I did. I do it for Logan, but now I'm like in an adult setting. And so I just censor myself for no reason. It's funny. There's other people that have done that too. And I'm always I know. like, you know, this is a safe place. You can, I know. <laughs> fucking I'm just do so whatever you fucking want. We're trying to get back into a system for school too. So mommy's got to oh, clean up some swears. Sure. <laughs> God, what is going on with you? Microphone. Get your shit together. Mm. Okay. I think we're good now, but you know, it wasn't, I had a really tumultuous relationship with alcohol growing up. I hated it. I hated the smell. You know, I was forced to go to school. My parents chain smoked in the house and I was forced to go to school. People would make fun of me because I smelt bad. My parents wouldn't pay for new clothes. So I just always had like sweats and like old hand-me-downs and like we, we were always dirty. We, we were super neglected. Like nobody ever took care of us and I just get bullied all the time for it. And it was like, I had no control over that environment you know, and so yeah. it was like my mom would cut my hair and she cut it too short once. And then everybody made fun of me for being a boy because I have a deep voice and a bow cut. That's uh. like, y'all are dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not dealing with enough shit. Thanks. Well, and I mean, we grew up in the era, like the last era of like the stereotypical cliques. Yeah. Like Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister. Oh my God, it was so bad back then. It was crazy. Fucking, I mean, it was funny because... And the Midwest, for some reason, really latched onto that shit because yeah. when we were in Oregon, we never saw that shit. No. But when we came here, it was like, it was literally like these four corners and we were like, what the fuck is going on? We're not any one of right, these right. things. Yeah. So, but I mean, dude, the second that I started listening to like Breaking Benjamin. Oh, right, right. Yeah, It's yeah. like, oh, what? You're like some emo fag? Like, what's your problem? <laughs> Like, fuck, man. I just, you know. I know. Everybody goes deep for that shit. It was like I was goth. And then if I listened to anything like that, I was a very fine line of risky goth emo. And you can't can't be both. You got to be one or the other. And you don't want to be emo. Yeah. It's funny. And you don't want to be super goth. (laughs) Uh, Like, what are some goth bands that you would listen to? Oh, I love The Cure. Well, I mean, I guess... You know, stuff like that. Classic. The, yeah. Well, and I also like punk, you know, Descendants, and I love Flogging Molly oh, and stuff like that. The Descendants. So, yeah, I got to see them uh, in Colorado at Riot Fest. It was wicked. Those guys are fucking, their story is fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're all smart dudes. And... Yeah, really freaking smart dudes. <laughs> and it was crazy because they're so old now, but they're still so good, you know? There's this documentary that I keep, it's in my, like, to watch list on oh. on Amazon. There's a documentary that came out about them, and I'm fucking. I haven't dying seen it yet. Yeah, it. but I don't even know if, that if I knew that it was on there. I haven't seen anything of it, but I'll have to look for it. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. I'll I'll show you before. We, yeah, for sure. Before you head out, um, <laughs> God, okay, so you're getting picked on at school. Were did people try to introduce drugs then? 
Yeah, actually, uh, when I was, well, I started smoking at a really well, young age. I, you know what? Before we go there, <laughs> um, the being homeless part. Yeah. So were there nights where you did sleep outside? Um, In cars. In cars, okay. I didn't usually sleep under bridges or anything like that. I got pretty lucky in that sense. Or like I was able to, because I was young, parents preferred that I stayed on a couch Rather than on a street. So I had the the benefit of a young age in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so it would be like, oh, my friend John was able to convince his mom to let me stay in his sister's room for a week. Okay. You know, and then they'd be like, we don't really like this environment. We don't feel safe or whatever, you know, because there's a huge risk for them taking in a kid that's not theirs, that's on the street. You know, they could be reported. So I get it. Like, as as a kid, I didn't really, I just always felt like it was rejection. You know? oh, of course. What else is then? There's no way, right? Uh, John John Cleese, uh, dude from Monty Python. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I would say he was the headless ghost in Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, but he, I always talk about this, which is, I need to fucking look up what the who actually said this, but he quotes it. Yeah. Um this this writer said that uh stupid people lack the capacity to recognize that they're stupid. Right, right. And really what that's saying is when you're so deep in something, there's no way that you could have the foresight to know like what's actually going on. Right. So right. if you're a child trying to find some type of stability, there's no fucking way that you could be like, Oh, no. I get it. Don't worry, right. guys. <laughs> oh, I had so much figuring out to do, you know, because what makes it really difficult is when you're a child on the streets, you know, you don't get any assistance from any of the counties. They all just consider you a runaway. Like, I wound up in the children's home because they found out, you know, I was reported. My mom got mad that I was on the streets, even though she wouldn't let me back, you know. And instead of letting me come home and taking care of me, she just had me reported as a, um, with a suicide attempt. And I got picked up at school one day and then brought to the hospital for, like, a few weeks' stay for a psych eval mm-hmm. and granted yeah at that time I was a little suicidal but it's once I was released she didn't let me back home you know it was like she only did it because she wanted to make herself feel better for not really being there right you know and we're trying like we haven't really had a relationship our whole life we're trying to rekindle that in the last year it's been really difficult I can't, but fuck dude yeah I, I... I'm really trying to practice <laughs> forgiveness. There's people that that write their parents off for less. I did for a long time. I I mean, they've had my dad never knew that he was a grandpa. He never met my son. Holy shit. Ever. Uh he just did a triple flip to his death uh off of whatever highway in Oklahoma this last year, but we I didn't know the dude. You Hold know. Fucking <laughs> 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 he was a God dick damn it, i don't even funny. feel bad like <laughs> i'm just glad he's gone like i don't wish death See, on anybody okay. but like i'm glad you said that yeah. because I, i've only been able to say this a couple times so everybody dies right yeah yeah why can't i be around for it right right like, yeah yeah people are always like you shouldn't with, wish death on people but it's like that doesn't mean that you have to be remorseful if right. it happens like if you genuinely like there's a a certain individual that used to go to Keller all the time that I'm oh, yeah. like, I wouldn't mind, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Not that I'm going to kill him, but right, right. if he dies while I'm alive still. Yeah, won't be bummed about I it. I won't be bummed. No, totes, totes <laughs> won't lose sleep. No, and I didn't. Nope, it, more or less it was like, 
closing that book of abuse. You know, it was like, yeah. well, you're never going to come back and surprise me with some bullshit anymore. <laughs> God, I can't imagine. But yeah, because uh, he was the master at showing up out of nowhere and then not following through with anything. So it was like, <sighs> no, now you're just gone. Like, whatever. No harm, no foul for me. <laughs> Provided zero to me, except for just like bad memories and experiences. Fantastic. I'm so glad we won't have more of that. <sighs> okay. But like, I don't know. It is what it is with him. I've kind of tried to make amends. I know that some of my, like my sister and I haven't really talked since it happened. And I, she might be struggling with some of it herself. There was a lot of, like I said, trauma. I mean, she's her whole life had, I think, PTSD that's undiagnosed because of that whole clawing through the door. Well, dude, you know, there's... she's on the toilet seat in her mom's arms and her dad's ripping through the door with bloody fists. So she said that she can't watch that part in The Shining because of that. Why would she it's even like, watch The Shining? I know. Well, I don't even think she does. <laughs> I think she saw that and she was like, no oh, oh, thanks. Oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but... Um, okay. Uh, I like it. We've only been recording for 20 minutes and this is like five years worth of podcasting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I got all this stuff. Let's go. Okay. So, I mean, there's no way that you don't have some form of PTSD. I have. Yeah, I have a uh, complex PTSD. Okay. Uh, which I do go to therapy for and take medication for. I have ADHD, depression, and anxiety. So I get like the whole kit and caboodle. Um, I used to have eating disorders, I've managed to really work through that. Okay. Um, but like with my mom, uh, everybody in my family at some point in another had an eating disorder. So mine was in the form of working out too much and not oh. eating enough. Yeah. You know, my sister's was in her own form. My mom was bulimia and anorexia or whatever, you know, so it was like, and my aunt right now, she just works herself to death. So, and has just really strict diets, mm. which I guess if that works, it makes her happy. It's just, I don't know. We have such a risky slope with eating disorders. I sometimes yeah. wonder if it's healthy or not, but it's whatever, not my place. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, the other, uh, Miranda that we yeah. had on the not so anonymous. Miranda Pearl. Miranda Pearl. Yeah. <laughs> Miranda Panda. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, she, uh, I, I had kind of deduced like there's there's usually a sensation that's associated with um, using. Yeah. And I wondered with um, eating disorders, like the pain equates to or like the uncomfortableness of being hungry equates to, oh, I'm that means that I'm not gaining weight. Right. And yeah, it's definitely like once you get into that cycle, it's hard to break because you get such a mental reward out of thinking that that's causing you success you know like your main focus is to have that control over your body and you know when everything around you is a shit show at least you can control this yeah you know so it's like once you start doing that it's really hard to break out of and even now like sometimes i go through things where i'm like i can't have that it's too many calories or whatever mm. and i'm like no you got to stop thinking about that if you exercise a couple times a week and you just try and eat healthy give yourself some slack you know, because it's yeah. really easy then I start going through this spiral where I'm like, OK, well, then what pill can I take? What um, calorie intake can I restrict myself to? Oh, sure. you know, like I start going, oh, coffee, zero calories, no creamer, you know, or, you know, <laughs> just all that crap. Yeah. Oh, a banana, 110 calories, you know, all the sugar. <laughs> 
It's funny. Miranda taught me something that I didn't realize was an eating disorder thing. I thought it was just like a cool trick where you get uh, like crushed ice and you put um, like flavor enhancing, Mm -hmm. like, right, like uh, juice mix or whatever on top of it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, cool. It's like a crushed popsicle. Yeah. And I remember telling Kim and she was like, that's an eating disorder thing. Right, right. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I know. It's tricking your brain into thinking you're consuming something. Yeah, yes. So, and that's a pretty common one too. I. So how old were you when the the eating disorder stuff started? Uh, I had just had Logan and I went through a lot of issues with after, during pregnancy, uh, it kind of like really started because I started gaining the weight or whatever and everybody was telling me kind of what I should and shouldn't do with my body. Mm. And so like, I went in, I think, after I was like 21 weeks pregnant and I had like gained one pound and then stopped throughout the rest of the pregnancy. Holy shit. I didn't gain any more weight because I was like, that was the minute I was like, only grapefruit for lunch. You can only have like a tablespoon of peanut butter. You can only have X, Y, and Z. You cannot have anything that's processed. You you know, I was super strict and I was like borderline crazy. I'd go to my grandma's house and bring my own veggies because I knew she put butter on that shit. And I was like, no, no, no. Too many fats, you know? Or Yeah, it was insane. Like I had a journal full of like everything I ate and how many calories and everything went on a scale. Like even an envelope. I was like five calories for an envelope. No. (laughs) Yeah, dude, that's... um... That, that's one thing that I that I learned too with the the journaling or writing on the backs yeah, of, yeah. of letter or yeah envelopes like you mm-hmm. were saying like um that's that's when you know yeah 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 oh it was so bad and people so wait did you like pass out during your pregnancy no I was managed to stay uh like pretty functional throughout my pregnancy I was very fatigued and I I slept a lot but there was no okay. passing out after I had Logan I would pass out in my workstation or whatever standing up because I had no I have no nothing left in like three months i lost 60 pounds holy shit like right after i had logan yeah i went from like 210 pounds to like i don't know i think my end weight after all of it was 115 pounds oh my god yeah it was nuts and that was like three to four months worth of time i was losing dramatic amounts of weight wow doctors were worried about me my family was worried about me you know and like even after i started realizing that i had a really big problem i had to deal with it it took a long time for me to be like, you're good enough. You don't have to worry about that. Like I'd look at pictures and I'd be like, I can't, if people tagged me and stuff, I'd be like, no, yeah. untag, unfollow, whatever. Cause it was oh, like, I don't yeah, want to yeah, see yeah. my face. Like, no, I'm not the weight I should be. Or I don't. Also, I'm not... I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Pause. Right. Hold on a second. <laughs> so much, so many questions. Okay. So that wasn't until, until you were pregnant with yeah yeah okay. so I was an adult disorder. at that point gotcha mm-hmm. so I guess when I was younger though I kind of had an eating disorder in the opposite sense because I ate too much that's what I was gonna ask did yeah. you use it as a comfort like uh when I was younger yes um especially after I moved in my grandparents house for the two years I was there mm-hmm. like 16 to I think it was like 18 and then I moved out because I felt like a burden on my grandma oh. and she was getting sick and dying and I was like I gotta go which I wanted just being homeless again. <laughs> so I was like, Fuck! I know, I know. It just, it was a stupid situation too, but I just thought I was trying to help her live longer. And I knew that my drama, my baggage was a lot for her to carry. See, and yeah. that's, that's, I, I am positive that your grandma would have rather had, have had you there. Oh yeah. But it's like, how do you know? There's yeah, no yeah. way, your whole experience has been people 
it's either perceived that you're a burden mm-hmm. or they just aren't able to articulate right properly so it still feels like you're a burden oh yeah like, exactly well and by that point i had been homeless for like i said for three or so years so it was constantly moving place to place and place and feeling like a burden you know there was Two times in that vagabond lifestyle where I got phone calls from friends or their parents saying that my mom committed suicide or attempted to because she missed you. Like, I stayed at this uh, friend's house uh, for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. Time kind of fades in that life, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but her mom got so attached to me being there. When I left, because I had to, she went into the garage and started up her car and tried to kill herself. And I'm like, well, how is that my fault? You know? And then another time I had a friend actually commit suicide and she wrote a note saying that she was pissed off because I wouldn't be romantic with her. And it was, we were fucking 14 years old. Like. Miranda! I know. Hold on. I know. Oh my God. This is so much. I'm so glad that you're saying all these things. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so many people that are afraid of confronting this type of shit. It's scary. And, you know, like I've said, I go to therapy and I talk to my counselor. And the one thing that she did say is that talking to people and random about this can be kind of traumatizing for people that care about me because <laughs> this is some heavy shit. And sometimes people who who do love me don't want to hear that it's hurtful to them too and i try to like balance who i present this stuff to because it it, it can also be re-traumatizing to anybody else who's gone through it you know um but i felt like this was a good place to kind of do it because people can like control what they want to hear or whatever you know yeah well i mean i i think that because i mean kim and i have said this for i mean the last shit six or seven years um at least which is that the shit that we've been through, the reason why, I, especially me, like the why, why I'm so open about it is because I want to make sure that whoever I'm talking to knows that I sincerely am willing to have the, like an, uh, a, a starting point where we're both dis- viewed as the same. Right, right. Like that there's no, no chance that I'm going to present myself to where I think I'm better than whoever yeah. I'm talking to. Yeah, right So whereas on. it can seem like goofy and I'm like making dick jokes or whatever. <laughs> That's that's part of it. That's part of the experience. Yeah, I I feel like it's, you know, either like, oh, this dude's super fucking weird. Like, I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Or I'm sharing the intense stuff to make sure that they know that they don't have to be afraid. Right. If something slips out or like if they're nervous about a situation, I can be like, so let's not fucking do that thing. Who right. Cares? Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I like to try and remain an open book, but I do try to be mindful, you know, because I never thought about it like that until I had talked to her. Because I, I used to be pretty, like, aggressive about it. like. Well, yeah. I mean, I only in the last year mm-hmm. have, like, really processed. Because I have hypo, hypomania, uh, massive depression, yeah, yeah. anxiety, ADHD. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel like ADHD is always mixed in there because oh, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I forget my own sentences halfway through all the time. I found out too that there's an uh like a fairly recent diagnosis on the cellular phone. Yeah, because it's it's it was fascinating. Like somebody had posted this thing, and I had never heard of it. And I like to think that I'm on the up and up when it comes to mental stuff. But right, yeah, I know. <laughs> but there was a new one 
Where the fuck are you? A new diagnosis. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, Neurodivergent. Yep. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I've heard of that. Mm -hmm. So I, this was just a few days ago that I had heard about it. And it makes so much freaking sense. Right, right. I'll read it for folks. Uh, Neurodiversity is a relatively new term. Uh, It simply means someone who thinks differently from the way the majority of uh, what are considered neurotypical people in society think. Right, right. Which, Um, I mean, when I heard that, I kind of thought about it, too, because I was like, well, maybe, because I don't don't typically see eye to eye with most people, but I've also lived through shit. Right. So, like, I I kind of experienced the world on a different level, but... I think the, the, from what I read into, it is like a, a... an environment-based thing too. Right, right, yeah. Because if you grow up in situations like that, or like for me, growing up without being properly diagnosed yeah, until yeah. I was 32 fucking years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I know. I've had PTSD since I was fucking five years old. <laughs> and it didn't get diagnosed until I was like 31. Yeah. I've it, been suffering. <laughs> exactly. So that's, I think, part of why this neurodivergent thing applies is because mm-hmm. we didn't have the tools to be able yeah. to... Oh, well, and I have codependency stuff, so right. I really rely on people like liking me and like. Yeah, I I struggled with that when I was younger, but that also came with the fact that I just never really felt like anybody cared about me, you know. So it was like I needed attention. I would try and find it in any way I could. <laughs> but see, that's funny. That's like when people say, "Do you need attention or do you want attention?" You genuinely need it. I did, yeah. <laughs> I would go out, like, I was so desperate for it. If my parents wouldn't pay attention, I would recruit my sister and we'd go out and, like, set out a boombox on the, like, on the sidewalk and we'd dance for the neighbors. <gasps> like, people would drive down the street and, like, honk at us. And we were just kids. Our dance moves were not great. Oh, that's yeah. fucking adorable. Yeah. Though. Like, people loved it. Our parents didn't. They didn't even look at us, but we had Dance into, like, Ace of Base. Actually, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. While we're flying our ponies, you know? Because we had those ponies with the, the rainbow or the glittery wings, you know? Oh, so they yeah, had, yeah, yeah. So we would play like Ace of Bass and fly them around, oh. dance. Yep. Actually, uh, my bass, when I made my dance studio and I put a, I clipped out pictures from like gaming ma- magazines and they were my audience, I taped them all across the wall so they could watch me dance downstairs. <laughs> Link was like my number one hot topic because I had a super crush on him. <laughs> So he was like front stage and center. Oh my God, that's awesome. It was ridiculous. So, yeah. okay, now back into, um, I mean, so you have this view on um, substances from mm-hmm. a young age. Yeah. Did, did it affect you using yourself? Yeah, uh, kind of in a way. In, in certain areas, I was very vehemently against things. In others, I wasn't, you know, like... Um, my dad wasn't, like I said, really in my life, but like when I would randomly wind up at his house every now and then he'd buy like a carton of cigarettes and I like smoking packs of cigarettes like every couple of days at 12 years old that my dad bought me, mm. you know, and it's like I smoked heavily throughout my teenage years and whatever, but I wouldn't drink, you know. Yeah. Like I never drank. And I also refused to smoke weed because I was like, I know my dad's doing that shit and he's been lying to me the whole time and he's a dick and I'm not going <laughs> to be like him. So like I never, I like grow in high school, like all the way up until like I turned 16 and moved in with my Jesus grandma, didn't smoke weed. But as soon as I moved in there, I hit that bong hard. <laughs> 
There's like a vibration under my chair. I didn't know what it was. I know. I kind of felt it over here too. Yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. It's not just me. Tremors. Right? <laughs> but no, I, I was pretty sober except for smoking cigarettes up until, like I said, 16. And then I got like, I wound up right before I moved in with my grandma. I was at this really awkward phase where I lived with somebody I went to high school with. I lived in his basement. It was his parents' house. And they let me stay in their basement. It was like behind this laundry room, this little cellar. Like it literally was like a cellar, like a cell. And so you were like Harry Potter. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a really <laughs> like it was a cold dungeon. Oh my god! And my god. mattress was in there, and I had a TV. But I was there for a little bit, and then that's when I kind of experimented with like smoking pot or whatever. And then I stopped again after I graduated and went the sober life until, uh, well, when I developed my eating disorder. And then after that, I was the eating disorder. And then after I came out of that, I took up to drinking instead. And then it was like several years of bad relationships, bad experiences, moving in and out, figuring out my life as a single parent, and then meeting somebody who was an addict themselves. You know, that's when I really started doing like cocaine and okay. drinking liquor a whole bunch. And it just was a bad place for me to be. Somebody that lined up with my mental health just wrongly. Mm. So, and then, you know, after that. Okay, hold on. I do have one more yeah. question because I feel like. People don't ask this mm -hmm. when, uh, especially for females that end up uh, homeless. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've gone through puberty. Yeah, yeah. What were you doing um, when you had your period? Like, that yeah. had to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah, yeah. You don't get feminine hygiene supplies. You don't. Um, and you got creative with toilet paper and making handmade pads. Okay. You know? And, and it sucks, but if you're not making money, you know... You don't really get those supplies unless you get somebody who's really nice and like donates them to you. But I mean, there was a lot of times where I had to get creative and, you know, it'd be humiliating because I'd have to be in school feeling dirty and like I smelt bad, Ugh. you know, and it's like I'm walking with all my peers and they have all these luxuries, you know, it's like I would give anything to be comfortable and they're bitching about their Tampax and I'm like, give me one. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking whatever. But how, how long has yours been in? I'll take it right now. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fling. But no, I. Uh, it was a, it was a struggle for sure. You know, I managed to when I was young because my grandma insisted, no matter where I was, once a week bringing me to church, and when I would go there, they would donate or whatever, like supplies for the time. Yeah, but. That was few and far between, you know. I mean, they would do it long enough to get me into the church, and then it was like, I don't know. I have my own beefs with that situation because they were never really good to me when I was in a bad spot either. Well, but, I, we we were of a generation where um, finding God would mm -hmm. then unlock all of these doors magically I know, somehow. Yeah. I, I saw that all the time. They People always tried to save me because I was like, the neglected homeless kid. And it, they didn't actually care about me as a person. They cared about me as this project to fix, mm -hmm. you know? And it was like... And they only want to work on it on the weekends. And that was it. <laughs> like, that was it. Like, I'd be literally homeless struggling throughout the week. Don't care. They don't even ask. Like, there was so many years where, like, my mom decided to abandon us. 
I was raising my brothers and sisters. I found out my stepdad got terminal colon cancer, and I became the beneficiary to my brother, sister, and other sis like all my siblings, the house, the car, and everything. And I had to really seriously consider the fact that I'd have to face my mom in court to take them in. Oh, okay. You know, hold on. You were how old when that happened? <laughs> Sixteen years old, because she bailed on us. She met somebody online on the poker games and said, like I said a while ago, she called us around. Christmas, Thanksgiving Here, pull, time. pull this thing oh, a little closer. She called us around. Now I'm in hot. No, no, no. Okay. It's okay. I know it sound. If it. Here, do some ABCs for me. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Does that feel better? Yes. Okay. Okay. But yeah, so I don't remember exactly where I was. It's the ADHD. Yeah. No, uh, the beneficiary stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was 16. Yeah. My mom had met somebody online and did the whole like, we're going to call my kids and tell them we're not coming back thing. And uh, shortly after that, we found out my stepdad had like stage three terminal colon cancer and had like 18 months to live. And my, like I said, my little brothers and sisters are 10 years younger, 10, 12 years younger than me, you know, and they were losing their mom and now really coming to the reality that their dad was going to die too. And then I remember while he was in chemo, I was taking him to his appointments, but he'd pass out because of radiation. You had to take him to his appointments? I was the beneficiary. Fuck! So I was taking him to chemo while I was taking care of Aubrey and Micah, my the two youngest. Did you consider taking him to a bridge for a triple flip? That's my step. Well, my my <laughs> regular dad just did that on his own. No, my no, stepdad no, very very quickly tried to, but then you know. Oh really? He survived it, but you know that didn't make him less of a total dick. I mean, he just still he quit drinking so much, but he still was just nightmare to everybody else. Like my sister, as soon as she had the chance, she moved out. But like. My brother and him have been like going through it. Like he won't pay his bills. He won't like take care of my little brother at all. And but my brother's an adult too now and he just enables him. It's kind of a bad situation for them. Well, I mean, you grow up when you're that young. Like yeah. you're just I mean, I know fuck, maybe three people that have ended up how you are now. Yeah, yeah. Which is this some level of normalcy but like uh sometimes <laughs> but sure. i mean a lot of people end up you are trapped in this like never ending you're gonna eventually if you stick around long enough you're gonna see the person that you hope that they can yeah. be yeah and it's just impossible to escape that so you just do whatever you can to right whatever yeah, I, you think is gonna make them happy you know it was it was really hard you know because it was like all those years my mom was absent, on Mother's Day, I got the cards. Because my brother would send me the cards and be like, since I don't have a mom, you're my mom. And I still have like his little like tongue compressor designs with the heart shape and his picture on it because he didn't have a mom to give it to. So he would give me those things, you know, or they'd have me go to their concerts and support them at events because our mom wasn't there, you know, and their dad was terminally ill. So I was at all their events taking care of them. I mean, at the time I was married and my husband and I, we would take in the kids when we could. Um, but we were also dealing with the newborn. Uh -huh. So it just, it, it was a lot of chaos. It caused a lot of like stress on our relationship. It wound up, I think, kind of being our demise in the end just because of all the constant turmoil. But how old were you when you got married? Uh, I was, we met at night. I was 19 and we got married just after I had Logan, so I would have been like 22. Okay. Because I got pregnant, and then my grandma like called me up to a meeting to guilt trip me over a dinner table about how I'm going to hell and Jesus hates me if I don't get married to this guy immediately. 
So we literally planned a wedding in three months knowing we weren't really looking towards marriage in the first place, but decided why not screw it. Yeah. And then shortly after we just kind of went our separate ways, you know, there was a lot of stuff that kind of happened and it just kind of fell apart. We're friends now. I actually helped them at their wedding. Him, him oh and my his God. Yeah. I did her makeup and helped find. You yeah. Minnesotans are so weird yeah. with that shit. I know. It felt really bizarre, but I was really happy to help <laughs> out, you know? So I was like, whatever. The amount of times that I've heard shit like that, yeah, it just yeah. blows me away. I guess I'm just such a jealous person. Yeah. There's no fucking way that I could. Well, that and now I'm old and, you know, dating yeah. and ugh. Right, right. Kim and I say this all the time. We're like, if if we did get divorced for some reason. That's it. Yeah, I don't want to date anybody. I feel like I have a pretty strong end game here in my dating life. <laughs> like I, I'm solid on my own. I do better that way. I can fuck up a relationship. <laughs> like I try not to, but man, mental health is a struggle. So, well, I mean, okay, let's get back to um, this. So, you graduate high school. Yes. And where did you go after that? So I, like I said, I felt bad that I was living in my grandma's house. I mean, she was, her mental health herself was declining. I could see she was incredibly depressed. And This is your mom's mom? Yeah. Okay. And she was really struggling with my mom bailing and leaving us all to her, basically, you know, but she was also struggling with not having her daughter anymore you know, and her not being around. And she was struggling with how to tell the kids what was going on and how to explain it to us. I mean, she was the one that had to sit us down over Christmas balls of like popcorn that my mom mailed us saying she's not coming back, you know? So it was like, she she also then found out she had cancer and she didn't tell us any, any of us about it until she was about to pass. So she herself was terminally ill trying to take care of us. And I didn't know that. At 18, I was like, I just have to go. She's not happy. I don't feel right about this, you know? And so I made a decision to move out into a friend's house. Um, But this friend wound up living with two people that apparently had warrants for their arrest and were making acid in their bathtub. And so I was like, can't stay here. And uh, I wound up moving into a friend of theirs house. She let me move in. Uh, to like live in their living room. Mm-hmm. Well, turns out she didn't live there. She just kept her live-in boyfriends there with her husband. And so it was like a really fucking bizarre situation. I did it again. I censored myself, but it was a really fucking bizarre situation. <laughs> if, I know. If you do it, it's fine. I know. I just laugh every time because I catch myself <laughs> and I'm like, children, they just uh. change it. But um, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> Okay, so I'm I'm also curious, like, not to backpedal too much, but like... Oh, I don't care. I'm all over the so, road. So you're in Sartell? I was in Sartell, but when I moved out of my grandma's house, I moved into a place in Sauk Rapids. It was real brief, and then I wound up moving into St. Cloud. Okay, so, like, when you were... When the homelessness stuff was going on, was that in Sartell as that well? That was in St. Cloud. That was in St. Cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay, so something that, like, I'm glad is coming out more mm-hmm. but nobody's really doing anything about it is the fucking sex trafficking that goes on in St. Cloud. Yeah. And how terrifying that is. Yeah. I mean, um I remember walking on the streets a teenager, you know, just a child and I uh I walked across Division past where Cheap Thrills used to be. Okay. 
Uh, and there were some RVs packed like back there. And there was a few guys that were trying to get me into their RVs and pick me up. They were trying to get me to like come with them for drinks or whatever. And they were being really aggressive with me. But that's not the, I mean, that was broad daylight, like right outside of a very public area off of division. But that wasn't the only time. I mean, I had parents of the friends I was staying at try and make passes, you know, there was times where I had to consider doing sex work just to make money, you know. I remember some guy, when I was really young, wanted to hold my tit. And I went, give me a dollar. But it was like I needed fucking money, yeah. you know. But it was like, I don't know. I think about that crap now. And I, I know it comes from a place of desperation, but I'm not proud of it. You well, know, you but it's kid. like, what What was I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, I had to learn how to sell my body to get the things that I needed at a young age. And it destroyed any chance of having a healthy foundation, like for relationships, because it was always like the perviest or the most inappropriate, you yeah. know, because they knew I was a child. So that that stuff, like. I grew up with that pretty young, you know, I mean. My dad, he, when he was around, he made it a point to, if I ever tried to make myself look good, like I remember seeing him for the first time after several years of being homeless. So I must, I must have been like 15 and I decided I was going to ungoth for a little bit and just try my natural roots. And I uh, decided that I was going to go back to like my auburn red hair. Okay. Uh, and he like pulled me out of the kitchen, sat me down at the dinner table and like pulled out these stacks of porn magazines. And he's like, do not ever come into my house dressed like that or looking like that unless you look like the women in these magazines. And he like had me peel open all the porn magazines and he'd compare me to each one of the women. And he's like, you don't look like that. And until you do, you can't dress like that. And I was just wearing like skinny jeans and a turtleneck and like whatever. And he just crucified me. I mean, my grandma picked me up like an hour later to like hang out with him at a dinner event. And I was just sobbing, you know, like what I don't understand at all. It was so cruel for no reason, but he was also the same guy who would always be like, you're not my daughter. You don't look anything like me. Amber's my child. She's my favorite. And it's like, okay, that feels really good. So then who is my dad? Bastard child. Okay. Awesome. So it was like, he never would acknowledge me as his child. But, you know, as an adult, sometimes I see pictures and I'm like, I look a lot like him. So. <laughs> this is triple flip? Yeah, triple flip. Okay. Yeah. But he was a dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Did I get those mixed up? Your dad did the porn thing or your uncle did the My porn thing? My dad did the porn thing. Yeah. He, he told me that I would never be beautiful unless I looked like the women in the porn magazines. And he compared me to like all these really thin blonde women. Like, So he wanted you to stay goth because I, that's what you deserve to be? Or I don't like, know. I, because I was ugly and it was better to not be seen. I don't know what his point was other than to just hurt me. You know? But wow. he did that stuff all the time. And like... That summer, I wound up having to make a call. That's when my grandma wound up taking me in for a little bit. Okay. My grandpa had, like, torn his meniscus and desperately needed help because he was a bike shop owner. Oh, fuck. And I told my dad, I was like, well, this isn't going well. Like, hanging out with you isn't great for me or any of us. Uh, I think I'm going to go help my grandpa for a summer and just see how that goes until I can find a place to stay or whatever. And uh, he's like, if you leave this house, you're never welcome in my doors again or whatever. And I was like, you were never here in the first place, dude. Like, I'm not going to miss you. And I never went back. So 
I just kind of walked out the door and was like, fuck you, dude. So you know how to fix bikes? Uh, bicycles. <laughs> yeah, not not motorcycles. <laughs> I could probably give it a YouTube, you know? Um. Okay, so... Um, yeah, it's hard not to get lost because there's so many like intricacies. And but I, I feel bad because like my I can do this forever. Oh yeah, yeah. But like Kim is always like, you know, you, you're kind of all over the place. So try to like rein it in. <laughs> yeah, rein it in. So I try to do better with that. But there's just so many. <laughs> Have you watched Loki on Disney Plus? Not yet. No. <laughs> okay. So the whole concept is right. There's this timeline, right? And if yeah, you, yeah like divert then these things branch off yep that's me like there's all of the when i hear ADHD. a thing i hear <laughs> there's like there's 15 stories that yeah. i could dive into so um so were you were you assaulted while you were on this i hate to be like yeah, that blunt but yeah actually um i have a lot of sexual abuse i at least five or six times i was assaulted either by boyfriends or one of them was my dad's best friend um well, and another one was I was just groped by a friend's parent. But like it's it there was a lot of situations that I should not have been in as a kid that I wouldn't wish on anybody, you know. But one that I specifically go to therapy for was the one that happened with my dad's best friend because he snuck into the house when my dad was fucked up on drugs and just high as shit. And my dad was like in the porn, passed out with Vaseline and porn on. Cause that's how he is. And I was in my room and uh, his friend snuck in through the patio and came into my room. My dad was there the whole time. He didn't do anything to save me. He was passed out. Fuck me. He dude. never woke up. He even, the guy forced me to take speed to stay awake for the assault. And my dad never woke up for any of it. He even made me come out into the kitchen where I could see my dad, where he continued to fuck with me. And then brought me back in the bedroom, did his thing, and then went next door to my stepmom's house to have 4 a.m. coffee with her and then go home. He even, like, showed up the next day because he wanted me to give him a kiss. And I was still traumatized, and I didn't know what to do, and I had to go to school that day. The police wound up showing up. Like, I got pulled out of my class because I was bawling my eyes out all morning long. The teachers were like, something's seriously wrong here. And so they brought me into this room with, like, a zen garden I had to sit there and then like, yeah, I know. And then they like collected, they like went and tore up my apartment or like my room and like took yeah. my pajamas and my bedding and just like turned up everything. And they went and arrested the guy. He confessed like later that night, but it was so fucked up, you know, but. So, I mean, what was like, how, how were you able to trust adults like ever? No, I, you know, even sometimes now I do have a lot of issues with trust just because I feel like I've been so betrayed by so many people, but that's something I'm working on, you know, but I do, I, growing up especially, it was like, I don't trust anybody at all. And what are you going to do? Kill me? You know? So I was always challenging everything and yeah. nobody could control me. Cause I was like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Death. That doesn't scare me. Yeah. So I don't know. I just. I had a lot of issues putting any trust in somebody that of an authority figure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to explain because no, I completely yeah, get yeah. it because when I had, but, but it was for different reasons. Uh, my codependency uh, gave birth to a lot of like self-righteousness and white knighting. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I never trusted 
like other than my parents, I fucking hated adults. Right. So I was constantly going head to head with right. people that were over twice my age. Oh, yeah. I, I struggled with that, too, because, you know, nobody was helping me. So it was like, why the fuck do I care about what these adults have to say? It's not like they're helping me survive, you know? No. So it was like, I never really respected their opinions. Like, I remember a math teacher. I was already degraded and just debased, like, at every angle in my life. And, like, in high school, my math teacher kept constantly wanting me to go up to the whiteboard and write on it. And I told her how uncomfortable that made me. And I just remember I had, like, a really bad night with my stepmom or my stepdad and my mom fighting. And I just was tired of shit. She called me up and she would not let it go. And I was like, seriously, not today. And I wound up like getting up and throwing my math book at her and like walking out. I was like, fuck this place. Fuck you. Fuck all these people. You can't stop me. You know, and I just walked off and I didn't go back to school for a long time. And then they started calling saying they were going to have us reported or whatever because I wasn't attending. But I just was like so sick of being humiliated in class. But nobody understood that shit. Like none of the teachers knew what I was going through, but they also didn't give me a space to express that I was unsafe, you know, there was I just constant... something was going on. I... Oh, you got something in your headphones. I actually, ex- I think I, I put my, I forget that I have these fucking plugs. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it like dug into the side of my ear. Oh, so I'm bleeding a little bit, but oh no. hopefully nobody else can see that. Oh yeah. Nobody can see it. Nope. It's nope. It's on the perfectly wrong side. <laughs> It doesn't hurt. It's just wet. Yeah, yeah. It feels uncomfortable to have it being pressed on. Um. So, so you did graduate high school? I did. How the I fuck do did not you do know that? How. It was really fucking hard. Like, I even okay. So I I wound up kind of cheating the system. I took whatever points I could get. So like, I remember one year they double booked me for biology. They gave oh. me the credits for the year before, and the next year they had me do it again, and I was like, I'm not going to complain, easy fucking year. And I took all the points for that and put it back into my credits or whatever, but like, I just did, like, I would stay and do, like, extracurriculars, like I German, speech class, art class, or whatever. Those would get me more points, and then it was like, the last year, I crunched. I remember being up all night long, drinking pots of coffee, <laughs> you know, just like crunching for whatever I had to get done. It was freaking hard work. I didn't think I was going to graduate. I, I had a really bad year, um, like my sophomore year. And I, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be on the road to graduation. But I found out uh, my senior year that I was close enough for if I really crunched my credits, I could make it. So I worked my ass off. I even got student of the month. I was so proud. I was like waving past the teacher I threw the book at in the hallway. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing out here? Student of the month. <laughs> but yeah oh my god that's awesome it was i felt so powerful i was like you can't judge me stop with your math nonsense (laughs) (laughs) i love shit like that i know oh it felt so good my one slice of pizza and a circle of people i never talked to again (laughs) yeah but anyway yeah it it was a difficult year and you know I can't say that I remember much of it, honestly, because it, it's just a haze of constantly making up classes. And in a way, it kind of gave me something to do. Sure. To distract. So I I just really focused on that. You know, I, I couldn't think about my home life and anything going on there. It was too much. So I kind of turned it around to my academics, which benefited me in the long run. Okay, sure. Um, And I, I had something to prove, you know. Because I got so fucked by my family. And I was like, I'm better than what you guys think I am. And I'm not stupid. 
And so I was like hell bent on graduating because I was like, if I can graduate, fucking anybody can. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily true, but I, well, I get the sentiment. Though. Right. Right. Like, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's so wild to me when somebody can survive something like that. Yeah. Um, especially with somebody that's as positive as you are. Cause that's yeah. kind of how this whole conversation or like this whole thing started was I kept seeing all these positive things that you would say to people yeah, yeah. like via Facebook and whatnot. And people who are like that, there's yeah. always a, like some darkness that yeah, came yeah. before. And that's why we like try to uplift people. Yeah. I definitely like growing up the way that I did. It's very, it's made me very passionate about making sure that others don't go through it themselves. And I don't want anyone else to feel alone either because that is how I felt the whole time. If I can save even one person from feeling the way I did, fucking fantastic. Because that was the worst feeling I ever felt, you know? And people don't talk about this stuff as openly, you know? I mean, it's really hard for me to get people to even discuss things like this with me. And a lot of my friends don't even know any of this about me. Oh, shit. Yeah, because, I mean, it's just a topic that doesn't Does that mean we're best friends? Yeah, more than most now. (laughs) You know my secrets. But, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't really get brought up that much because people are afraid to talk about these hugely traumatic things. I like I talked to my therapist. I told her because she was like, well, why did you wait so long with all this stuff to come in? Because I, I didn't. But How was old were you when you went in? 31. <laughs> when I got diagnosed. Well, I mean, I had seen therapists by the through the state because it was forced on yeah, me. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. But on my own fruition and actually went in for a diagnosis as an adult. 31. Yeah. Was the first time I actually went in to pick my own counselor and talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found out that I had CPTD. CPTSD and we started working through that but I told her I was like it's the stigma like my whole family wouldn't like you couldn't show weakness well and nobody like I had the most supportive parents they're wonderful human beings but they didn't know what mental health was no like we were like people make fun of this whole emo phase yeah but we were a part of this new thing where like People wanted the world to be different. People wanted like all of this inclusiveness. Yeah. But they like didn't actually know how to do it. No. They didn't know how to properly get everybody on the same page. So like we were just being pulled along and like, yeah, just you're happy like us. Right. Right. And we're doing these, these fucking, you know, I forget what that it was like presidential something fitness challenge thing. Oh, yeah, that you know bullshit. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was notorious for not participating in anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, they did all of this weird shit to mm. try and get us to like, if you just exercise, then you'll be happy. Or, I know. Yeah, yeah. They didn't know. They didn't really know what any of this shit was. No. So even the most well-intentioned people didn't really know how to fucking deal with it. No. And I mean, that's why. Like, it's funny. I asked my mom. Like if there is any history of mental health stuff, yeah, yeah, in on her side of the family, right? And she was like, "Ah, no." Right. And I was like, "Are you sure?" Yeah. And she was like, "Well, I mean, my brother takes this medication, right. and my sister takes this medication. And it's like, but they don't call it like they don't know how to call it bipolar, or they don't know how right, to call right. it major depression, right? So like, there's this lineage of just fucked up. Like, I mean, a lot of alcoholics had massive anxiety. Right. And they just didn't know how to fucking deal with it. Yeah. I mean, that was a lot of my mom's problem, too. And my dad's. But 
you know, their anxieties were really bad about everything. I mean, growing up for my mom was not that easy either. My grandparents were super religious and had high expectations and they fostered like 20 kids with disabilities. What? Yeah. And so my mom was the product of living with 20 disabled kids and what that was like. And so she just never got attention either. And as an adult, she didn't know how to cope herself. You know, she got bullied because her brother had Down syndrome. And back then, walking down the hallway with somebody with Down syndrome got you beat the fuck up, mm-hmm. you know? And so she had a really rough go about it too, just just because of that. And that was innocent. She had nothing to do with that. Dude, I'm- uh, that was another thing that we noticed when we came to to Minnesota. I was thirteen when we yeah, came. Yeah, yeah. And the way that kids treated people with disabilities was fucking oh, yeah. horrific. I, oh yeah. It was like, I felt like I was in a like one of those weird like um, what not to do movies that right? they would show yeah, yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, if your friend asks you if you want to smoke a marijuana cigarette, do this. Like, it felt like I was in some weird fucking safety video. Yeah. Or, or like obedience video i don't know what the fuck you call it but right. like how not to treat people felt like i went to school with all of those fuckers and it was it's just crazy <laughs> it's like they some people treat people with down syndrome or severe disabilities like that like they don't actually have feelings like there's not a human in there yeah. which blows my mind because the amount of times i've seen my uncle tom the guy with down syndrome cry because someone insulted his puppets he's a child but he's a human. Yeah. And he has feelings. You know? Like well, And I mean they they're they're finding like <laughs> it took so fucking long. But like when cuz my my youngest brother has autism. Yeah, yeah. And once we kind of once they started to learn what the spectrum was, yep. like he was like part of kind of like that first generation of like yep. the, well there's a spectrum. It's not you're not just autistic. You don't yeah, I know just it took have a while, Asperger's. Yeah. But once that started to happen, it felt like people around the same time, there was this like, oh. Right? Yeah, yeah. We can't say the R word anymore. Oh, I know. We can't, like, so there was this like, oh, it actually feels amazing to treat these people like human beings. Yeah, yeah. And, I've had people use the R word, and I'm like, you not today, motherfucker. <laughs> like, my uncle, come at me. I am not going to hear that shit. Like... There, I'm tired of people like discriminating people like my uncle because they just can't accept something that's different. Yeah. He's got the purest heart. Well, or acting like it's, I think it it's this weird reflection of when they see somebody with special needs or mm-hmm. a vulnerable adult, they question, could I, it's like when somebody's like, it, it, uh, um, if I was in a bank robbery, yeah, what yeah. would I do? Like if somebody came and... And I'm, you know, on the other side of that of that glass. Like, what would I do? Right. I think people go, could I take care of a person like that? And I don't think that I could commit to something like that. And they right. start to feel uncomfortable and they don't know what the fuck to do. And there's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, our word. Well, I, I don't think know. in a sense, too. Yeah. Yeah. That. <laughs> and it brings up their own mortality or like yes. different kinds of things about themselves that they may or may not prefer that are projected in somebody else or their fears you know and it's like that doesn't mean you have to treat them real shitty yeah how you know try and pretend to be in their shoes for a minute and imagine how that shit feels yeah well that that goes back to that whole stupid people lack the capacity to recognize that they're stupid it's like you i hope that like when people hear 
that they're like it's it's not really an insult when you dissect what that really means right so just look at stuff in your life like this conversation that we're having as angry as we feel i hope that people realize because it's the same thing like when people uh get uncomfortable when, when you talk about um uh, like racism and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, I, I've never met a racist. I don't know. No, none of my friends are racist. It's like, we're not, nobody's saying that they are, but there right. happen to be a lot of honkies that yep. are pretty fucking racist. Yup. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person and that for some reason you now have to defend this weird stance. Right, right. And I yeah. th- think that oh, that same thing happens with people with special needs. They're just like, yeah. there's this weird stance that they have to take. Like, right. I don't well, know. Well, and people sometimes when they're scared, they feel like it's the whole fight or flight kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot more than just fight or flight now. There's like compliance and yeah, yeah yep. there's like a whole other world that they're just coming out with. But, you know, some people feel like when they're being attacked or threatened that they need to dig their heels into the ground and back their stance. And, you know, I think when you close your doors, uh, you know, like that, you refuse room to grow and learn. Yeah. You know, it's like at that point, you've just stopped. You're, yeah. you're stagnant. You're not going anywhere. Also, if you're if you're feeling like if you feel agitated when this stuff comes up, mm-hmm. then I think people it's hard to get to this point. Yeah. But like, I mean, I work with people who are anti-vaccine right yeah me too and i know that they're good people yeah but they just like they can't see this other thing what they see it's most of it is fear-based right yeah like we were talking about with the other shit like the fear of this like how far will the government's control go right right it's a scary thing i get that but we're not like most countries. Like no. we're we're a very large country, so yeah, it's yeah. hard to really control the entire population. Like it's so much crazier than it sounds. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like it was easy to do in some of these countries back in the day because there wasn't social media. There wasn't like all of these. It's so crazy how quickly bad information can like spread <laughs> yeah. now. Like it's just at the click of a button, it's all across the yeah. world. But we're going off into a, a weird. That's the ADHD again. Yeah. So splice uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So um, now I mean that fucking wild story. Yeah. I do want to. Um, oh, we got tons of time. Okay. Okay. Um, what What did you learn? Um, or, like, did you meet? Have you met people in your adult life? Which I know feels like it started when you're fucking thirteen, but yeah, yeah. In in your adult life, that we're going through similar things, and like got to kind of do that trauma bonding with them, or does that make sense? You know, I don't really meet a lot of people with a story like mine. Yeah. Um, I try and talk about it more because I would like to open those doors for myself as well, but also for others who don't talk about it who might need like think that nobody else has gone through this either because i know there was a long time when i was like i'm an anomaly you know yeah well yeah i mean uh, uh, the so (laughs) how like how did you cope or survive uh i painted a lot when i was a kid i was an artist i drew um i wrote a lot of poetry um 
I still paint off and on now, just not as much. I kind of like stepped back so my sister could excel, and she's soaring. Oh, you awesome. Know? Um, but I took on other activities and hobbies. Like now I do like the dancing and the hula hooping and all that stuff and light shows, and I enjoy that, you know. I For me, it's not about money, never has been. If I can bring joy or something interesting to others, that's what it's about for me. You know, life has been too long for me. If I can make others happy, that's all I care about. You know, I I have a lot of hobbies and a lot of passions, and I just try and stay constant in those because they keep my head out of the ground. Yeah. Well, so I mean, like, what? It, I mean, what? What would you say to your younger self? I mean, like, how do you? Take your meds, see your therapist regularly, <laughs> you know, because I fuck, I refuse well, were meds. You, were you on meds when you were a kid? I was supposed to be, but I refused to take, well, not a kid, but a teenager. Okay. You know, because when my mom had me locked up for that hospital stay, they started diagnosing me with like the double depression or chronic depression. Okay. And then the anxiety and things of that nature. Um, and I just would not take my meds. It was like Zoloft or whatever. And it's like, this makes me feel lame. Dude, that's so funny. There's so many people that were on Zoloft. They, they put me on Zoloft too. And the funniest thing about that fucking medication was like, if you have suicidal thoughts, let it us It was know. worse. And it's like, what the fuck? I know. I know. <laughs> so I was like, no, thank you. So like for the longest time, I was just hiding my meds. And then I found out nobody was really, they never paid attention to anybody anyway. So it was like, I didn't take them anymore. We just never got them refilled. Yeah. But now as an adult, you know, I have a pretty steady stream of the things that I take. You know, I, I try not to abuse substances anymore, even alcohol. If I do consume, it's on special occasions. But I try and steer clear from it because I have so many issues with depression. More depressants make it hard for me to come out of spirals. Oh, and yeah. if I can avoid just not going there, I prefer it. So, I mean, what 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 advice? How can... I, and I don't even know if you're the right person to ask this shit to because yeah, it, it because just because you've survived this thing doesn't mean that you like for some reason have all of this knowledge to help people. But no. is there any advice that you have for um for people who think that like a situation like yours might be going on? I would reach out, talk to your teachers, be honest. Um, I know that my little sister was able to find a neighbor friend who basically took her in, um, and they wound up being her new family. Reach out. Don't keep it in. Uh, that'll just eat your soul. Um, try and find hobbies or things that you're really interested in to get you through the hard times. It's hard to keep yourself motivated, but just do something even if it's 10 minutes just to get your head out of the spot, you know? I mean, I, I had to practice a lot of redirecting and... I found that I get a lot of joy in bringing joy to others, like I said. So I try and donate to charities or be active in activism, like different mm. things that come up. Because if I can, like I said, help others, that helps me kind of cope with some of the crap that I've dealt with. Yeah. You know, look for the positive in life instead of sitting on that negative. Mm -hmm. I learned to garden. Flowers are fucking beautiful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. I, it's it's impressive, like... Uh, I've heard that a lot with people who, yeah. especially with depression, because I think it, there's so much symbolism in that Yeah. because you literally go in the dirt yeah. to try and make something beautiful. And yeah. that's a lot of times what it fucking feels like. Is yeah. Yeah. There's nothing but shit there. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to try to figure out how to make something positive out of this. Yeah. Yeah. It fucking sucks. But, I know. So when I, when I hear people doing that, it, 
for some reason it makes me happy too because it's like yeah fuck yeah i love that shit yeah now i have so many little plants i'm excited to give them away to people as gifts like you had a bad day have a succulent (laughs) here's another plant (laughs) succulents are the fucking best i know i have like eight thousand of them on my porch right now just waiting for new homes because i do not have room for that when the winter hits (laughs) i way overachieved on that but there's, you know, so much oxygen in your apartment. If oh, you have... I have a sensor in my room and it is pristine. It says it's like 120%. I'm like, neat. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Now we have a little bit of a little bit more trauma to get through. Yeah. So. Ask whatever. Um, You had mentioned cocaine had come into the mix at some point. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, pers- I pretty successfully avoided a lot of stimulants or whatever throughout my life just because of the way that I grew up with my parents and I just was like I'm better than them or whatnot but then after like going through all the chemo and then going through the divorce and everything I felt really alone and my family kind of bailed on me even more than I had already had you know so I I felt pretty solo and then I met somebody who made me feel really special and made me feel really good he like complimented all the things I was insecure about you know like he knew that I wouldn't be comfortable with my teeth. So I, one night at the bar, he was like, your teeth, they're unique, you know, or whatever. And he like tried to make me feel really good about him. But that was his strategy all along. Oh, no. You know, and like we wound up getting into a pretty serious relationship. And he had two kids that I still love dearly. Um, but we were engaged, planning and getting married. I was the stepmom to their kids and... It was all going really well, and then we met addiction head on, you know. Fuck. Cocaine came in. Um, we had a friend that had it pretty accessible. We'd go out to shows just as much as we could get. Cocaine all night long, go to parties. I mean, we drank almost every night liquor. We played drinking games constantly. I mean, I don't remember hardly any times we were sober. And then when he had to be sober because he was on probation, he just smoked that spice. And the oh amount of times God. I watched him almost overdose in front of me, it was like, dude, I remember planning one time because he seized right in front of me on the floor smoking spice. And I went, I'm going to be dealing with a vegetable for the rest of my life. How am I going to handle wheelchairing him around? You know, like he just fucking passed out right in front of me and started like seizing and convulsing. And I remember getting him on the couch and like being like, fuck 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 what do I do like he's on probation I can't call the police you know and like going okay I gotta go to the gas station get him food get him Gatorade get him some shit whatever get back take care of him and I mean it just it was constant disaster he would go out of his way to insult my friends and make them hate him you know he just could not be nice and it wound up being incredibly isolating because all of my friends slowly backed away because he was such a dick to everybody you know, and I was yeah. constantly putting out fires. And then after a while, I gave up and I was like, well, I love the kids and I, I'm in it. So whatever happens, happens. And I quit defending, you know, my friends. I quit defending people and I just kind of let shit all fall apart. And it took me kind of losing everything to realize I had to get out of it. You know, like I remember one night I was helping him. He had his own podcast and he was kind of running his own thing and he had a bunch of friends over. Is he still doing drugs while he was doing this? Yeah. Yeah. He was still doing drugs at that point in time. But um, I was setting up food and whatever and he was insulting the way that I opened hummus in front of everyone and I was tired of being humiliated again. 
And I went in my room and the whole rest of the night was him making sexual advances at the ladies that were there and them getting mad and storming off and leaving. And then like the end of the night, I got some videos of him running around half naked with my friends in the apartment and I was sleeping in the next room and it was like, enough is enough, dude. You know, I went to his show and like watched his show and my friend came up and showed me what his show he's he was in a band. Okay, And so I was supporting his band at the time and it the friend came up and showed me all these videos from that night. And it was like, I had to draw some lines then. And I, I chose me at that point and moved on. But you know, I, I also chose to give up a lot of stuff, you know, like the house with the kids and the family. I thought I had, you know, I, I thought I was happy, but it took walking away to realize it was just infatuation and addiction, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, how's this podcast doing now? I don't know. We don't talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it probably isn't existing anymore. I wouldn't be surprised. But I'm just fucking with you. Right. Um, but I mean, you left one time and you were out? I, you know, I did. Um, there was a few times we had some discussions or whatever about how we were going to separate. He had his ideas of what separation meant, which was just hooking up. And I said, <laughs> no, I'm not interested in that. You know, because I, I was in love with the guy. I planned on, like I said, marrying him. And so when he was so quick to just move on, it was like he just kept saying, two artists don't work well together and shit like that. And I'm like, but we're working with kids together. And I literally, he wouldn't drive, period. Why? He said anxiety, which I was understand like understanding towards at first. But I was the sole driver for three kids and mediating his co-parenting relationship. And he wouldn't even try to get his permit. And it was like, okay, well, if you're not even going to meet me in the middle, even a little bit, why am I doing all the work? You know, because then I was bringing him to his AA meetings and to his, like when he was in jail, I was visiting him in jail and bringing him on his work release, you know, and stuff like that. Okay, hold on. What did he go to jail for? Uh, Domestic. Yeah. His ex-wife, he threatened her with a scissors and a knife. (sighs) Yeah. So, his his claim to fame is that it was a butter knife and a dull scissors, but when you show up at a screen door with two kids sleeping on the couch and you're screaming threats, it's a big deal. Yeah. So I don't really care what the circumstance is, but. So okay, so you were able to walk away from that. It was, yeah. It was I mean, nightmare. what what was? I, I'm I'm not super familiar with like what coming off of cocaine is like. It, it was brutal. I mean, I was really anxious. I spent a lot of time trying to sleep and isolating just because a lot of sweats, you know, and like I, w- I couldn't really sleep and I was anxious. Um, granted, when I came off of cocaine, I was kind of transitioning into more of a lot of weed smoking. Okay. You know, so it was like I slept a lot of it off. I drank through a lot of it. Um so I was really only substituting other addictions, really, to kind of get through it. Sure. Um, but then after that, like, I started realizing more and more that my son cared about me. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. So this guy that you left is the one that you had Logan with? Nope. Um, he was uh, after. He was, like, when Logan was three years old, we met three or five years old we met his dad and I were only together uh, married for like, I don't know, maybe like nine months or so. Okay. We, we had no intent on getting married. Like I said, in the first place, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was like afterwards we realized it's not really working, you know? 
And there was some not great decisions that I personally made because I was dealing with a lot of shit. So I was not very nice Okay, so Logan was three, you said, when you met this other when guy? When I met this other guy. Oh, okay, he okay, was like okay. three or four. It's kind of hazy. He was really little. He still sure. had the chubby hands. Aww. Yeah. He used to run through the kitchen with the meat slaps. That's why I remember. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, we, we met, and I thought it was a really good situation. We wound up feeding off of each other's negative traits and just helping each other down this uh, unhealthy path, and then I eventually decided enough was enough. It's worth risking it all. It's time to go and move on. You know, and I did, and it was really hard. It was it was painful because I felt like I had nobody left. You know, I had already let my friends be alienated and just like harassed by him. And I was mad at myself for what I allowed to happen. So I was really mean to myself. You know, I convinced myself that nobody loved me also because that's what he told me. But it was like after trying to figure out if people cared about me anymore was a real hard thing to do. You know, I couldn't navigate those waters. I was stuck. So it took me a while to realize that therapy was going to be the only way to get out of it because my friends weren't the people that were going to be able to help me how I needed. Sure. Yeah. Even though at first that's what I thought, you know, like I thought, well, all I need is a good friend, but I can't expect for a friend to do that for me. Right. To shoulder all of the, yeah. Cause that's a lot of weight. You know, I'm coming in with a lifetime of trauma and expecting for my friends to be able to, like, carry me. Yeah. And, like, that wasn't fair. Well, and it's weird because when you're when you're in that situation, mm-hmm. what, you, what you're perceiving is, I just need somebody positive in my life. And yeah. if I know that they're there, then that'll be enough. Yeah. And it never is, though. Yeah. You still hurt. You know, I remember reaching out to my friends all the time and just being, like, butthurt about stupid shit that didn't matter because I was like... Why don't you care about me? Why don't you love me? And it all stemmed from the insecurities of years with this dude being told they're not my actual friends and they don't actually care about me, you know? And it was like, but they do. Mm-hmm. You know, this these last few years, I've really worked hard on like self-improvement and recovery. And uh, I have a lot of friends who really care about me. I just have to be willing to acknowledge that, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes I'm so used to to not being accepted that it's easier for me to accept not being accepted than it is to embrace that I'm actually cared for because that's such a foreign thing for me. I don't, I don't always know how to process it. Well, yeah, it goes back to that whole trust thing. Mm -hmm. Like you, when you're conditioned to think that eventually, uh, people are not that they're going to leave, but they're just not, you're, you can't be around them anymore. Right. Well, and for me, everybody always left. So it was like, if I get close to somebody and I let my walls down, what are they going to do? You know, are they just going to leave? And then I just exposed myself and now you can go and tell whoever anything or, or I'm never going to have someone to talk to like that again or whatever. You know, it's like any way that people left, it was like. Well, and in, in those other situations, like with, with this guy, like mm -hmm. you open up and then you have to leave anyways. It's like, it's this. Yeah. That sucked, you know, because I did really care about this person and I do still care about them as a human being Mm -hmm. and I want nothing but the best for them. But like it really had me really come to face with a lot of my own shit. Like it made me see parts of me that I desperately needed to fix and address because I was willing to let him say some really heinous things to me and around my friends and I never stood up for myself. Mm. You know, I just let it happen. 
now I'm much more confident in myself and I can be assertive and I can say what I feel and what I think. But back then I felt so like smothered. It was like I just allowed a lot of bullshit. Yeah. And uh, I think because I was his audience, he always just needed to do more, you know? Oh, okay. So it was like because I was there enabling him. Yeah. It wasn't going to get better. I got you. Yeah. But. Um, man. So at what point did you, do you still work at the red carpet? Um, no, I actually never like officially worked at the red carpet. I just worked there, uh, with the Vendetta Vixens. Okay. So, so when did you find that troupe? Um, that's a whole other story. So I, <laughs> uh, about 11 years ago, I started with a group named Carnival Revolver. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and did she make you walk on glass? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, we decided we weren't going to have that shit, and we made our own group, the Vendetta Vixens. Uh, and so, yep, we packed up basically, what was it? There was 13 people on the troop. I think like 10 or 11 of us all went, bye, and we made the Vendetta Vixens. And so we've been performing for about, I think it's like 10 years now almost. Holy shit. Yeah, it's crazy. I just also started working for the Duluth Dolls. So I perform in the Duluth or in Duluth oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So I have those as kind of outlets for me too now, which I love that because kids think it's so fascinating and I love smooshy little kid faces. <laughs> and so like when they want a hula hoop, I'm like, take it, go for it, have fun. Do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, how? so how did you... Like, were you dancing during school uh, or like? You know, actually, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I was homeless, I met a lot of ex- like, I don't know, artistic people on the streets, you know, anything from like street performers to rave dancers and just kind of like musicians, abundant. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'd kind of learn things from different people. And I remember there's. There was this one kid who I always saw. His name was uh, Bryant Tahimi. And he went Fucking to- Fucking cool name. I know. He was some <laughs> like super rad black guy that like played with Poi. And I just was super into what he had going on. He would always be out on the lawn during like lunch breaks or whatever, just doing his own thing, playing with his little light balls. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I went and Googled what it was because we weren't close. I just stalked him creepily, <laughs> you know? And so I like Googled it and I was like, there's hula hoops. What? And so I just like ordered myself one of everything on the menu, you know? <laughs> And so I just started practicing new props every week. You know, I'd swap them out, do like a week of staff practice or a week of uh, hula hoops or a week of poi. And then I would just go and do different things. Wait, wait, wait. So poi is what? It's those uh, balls on a rope. It's oh, kind oh of, okay. Yeah. Um, popular in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, I started just doing those as hobbies, things to like keep me busy because they fit in my backpack. I could travel with them, you know, like not the hula hoops, but if you got the ones that broke down so I could have them anywhere with me. I never had to give them up. So if I was staying at some, on someone's couch, at least I had some form of exercise or whatever. So I just kind of brought it with me as like people bring their guitars or people bring their harmonicas. It was me and my props. So that you'd catch me at like Riverside hanging out there for the afternoon, just flinging hula hoops or like outside of Lake George, people used to always see me. I used to actually go outside of tech because I knew my sister was going to school there at the time. So she'd be on her lunch break and I'd be out in the main area hula hooping and they'd be like, what? <laughs> like, That's my sister. But so, okay. So you're doing that stuff and then you learn about carnival. 
toxicity well, and well that we i was adrian and i dealt with that shit personally you yeah. know i mean we were a team i mean we started the vixens together co-founder co-producer and i had to take a step back and forfeit my role because i wasn't mentally healthy enough to meet her where i needed to okay and she she had it i mean she's definitely run the show and done really well with it so no regrets stepping down at all yeah. Well, I mean, you're still involved, right? Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I I think, I think, I mean, I, I cannot wait to get Adrian in that chair. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. go through all of her fucking wild ass story. That girl has some stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially with what she does. <laughs> yeah. I do not want to be on the wrong side of her in a bar, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> N- not at all. No, nobody does. Um. She's really nice, though. She's, I know. Yeah. That's the funny thing is she's, she's not, so fucking sweet. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. It's just, I don't know what it is, but people find her intimidating, and I just think she's she's, she's a really nice, talented person. You just don't catch her during rush hour at a fucking bar. Yeah. So, I mean, going through and being in the in the Vixens, did you, like, in those early stages, there was there was a weird, like, body positivity but there was still a lot of people that I feel like that didn't deal with their body dysmorphia. No. They were like, if I just thrust myself into it, <laughs> yeah. then it'll work itself out. And and there is a lot of issues with that, you know, because you dance a really slippery slope going into burlesque with mental health issues. Because if you are struggling with body dysmorphia, you really have to limit what you let yourself view, you know, because a lot of people will come in hot with judgments. And if you let yourself read comments... Oh, God. It's going to make it worse, you know? And I don't typically advise, if you're really struggling with self-image, to blast your body on stage unless you know <laughs> that shit's going to work yeah. because it can really backfire and it, it can make people feel worse about themselves. Like, they gave parts of themselves away they can't get back. Yeah. Well, you know? so that's what I'm wondering with you because you had had that experience. I, you know, the thing is, is because I grew up having to do sex work. Mm-hmm. When I did burlesque, it was like, Less than that. Well, wait, 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 wait. So you did, you did eventually have to do sex work. Yeah, I, I wound up having to do the whole selfie pics, panty pics, whatever. Fuck that shit. But that was as a new single mom, you know. Like after the divorce, that I let Logan's dad have the house and everything because I wasn't stable enough when we split to be responsible for the home, and I knew he was. Okay. So I forfeit that and then also told him that he doesn't have to pay me child support because he let me claim Logan on taxes every year. Oh, and for me, that was fair. Okay. You know? And so when taxes weren't there, I struggled. You know, I remember living in a studio apartment with like four stacked beds in the crib, like right at the end of my bed in like a studio apartment. I would go in the bathroom for privacy (laughs) You know, so if I wanted to watch like a movie or something that Logan couldn't watch, it was like I had to go hang out in the bathroom, set up my laptop on the counter. Oh, okay. Not that kind of privacy, but like if I wanted to watch like even American Horror Story or something scary, it was like. No, I get get exactly what you're saying. But either way, any privacy, no matter which direction, it was like bathroom's it, have fun. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. That was a different experience altogether, too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because as a woman who already had to kind of do things that I didn't want to do, you get a lot of these people with demands and expectations of how they expect for you to look and how you should service them. 
and they demand you be there. Like, these girls that are doing OnlyFans, it isn't just looking cute for an hour. It's like four hours of prepping, mm-hmm. plucking, shaving, getting pretty, finding your outfit, putting it together, hundreds and hundreds of pictures, lighting, all that. It is so much more. And then you have to deal with the constant messages, personal messages. If they manage to find your information, getting oh, phone calls, you know, like it's it can be really shitty work. Yeah. So I, I hate when people dog on sex workers because I've been in a spot where I had no other choice. Yeah. Doesn't feel great, you know, but if you need to make money to feed your kids, you do what you fucking have to do. Well, I mean, in, like historically, like the, the porn industry was a very like tumultuous yeah. playground. Right. But I've, I mean, over the last like five years, you've seen this like it's odd, but at the same time, like uplifting is like. Yeah this community of people that are like, no, 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 we don't want people to feel shitty. We don't want right. people to feel used. Like, yeah, we do some fucked up stuff on camera, yeah. but off camera, we got to make sure that, like as weird as it is for like Pornhub and Brazers. Yeah. Yeah. Like they have a conscience. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And with only fans, there's this community of, of women who are like, trying to empower each other and make oh, sure that they I know they so don't. many girls who do OnlyFans who go and pay for their OnlyFans, like their friends' OnlyFans to help back each other. Yeah. And I'm like, they're not even jealous. They don't care if this dude thinks she's hotter. They're just like, sell my chick. That's my friend, you know? Isn't she hot? <laughs> and I'm like, this is crazy. Because like when I started, it was like nine or 10 years ago, you know, basically around the time that the Vixens was starting, when Carnival started, I had already been kind of into the BDSM world or whatever. Okay. And selling pictures and stuff and escort services mm-hmm. online at that point. Um, and, and so back then it was very stigmatized and like it was super shameful. So all of my stuff was on the DL, you know, I didn't tell anybody I was on sites that I knew that nobody would recognize, you know, never met anybody that I could know in person. Right. So, and I always tried to keep it as discreet as possible because I'm like, I'm going to be that mom that has those pictures cycle back to Logan. I just fucking know it, you know? So I kept it all very discreet. No real, if I took pictures for people, the face had to be out or blurred, Mm. you know? Or like if we did escort photos together or whatever, it was, it was very impersonal. Just because if it did ever cycle back, I didn't want to be able to be identified. Now everyone's like, fuck it, who cares? Yeah. Here's my whole vagina. Well, and the other like amazing thing is like, I feel like it makes like the creeps feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Because they don't have power anymore. Right. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, it's, it's, so it's fascinating to me. Yeah. I don't completely understand it because with, with me, I have like, because I have such addiction issues, yeah, yeah, I can't like dive into that world and be like, "What's going on, guys?" Like, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but from what I hear, like, it's uh, it's amazing to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting being a a former worker, you know, and then watching this community now. It's like back then, you didn't talk about that shit. Mm-mm. You know, my girlfriend at the time was the only person who knew, and that's because she and I made a lot of money together, (laughs) you know? So it was like, outside of just us two doing our thing and taking in clients, it wasn't calling your friend and going, guess who I met last night? And it was was all very, very hush-hush. Yeah. So now it's, 
it's definitely a lot more open. Yeah. People are much more comfortable. And I, I like that. You know, I, I would have liked to feel to have felt a little more supported back then because for me, it wasn't a choice. Right. You know, when when I didn't have someone like follow through, it landed on me to pay the bills. I never well, had th- mom or dad be like, here's a thousand dollars. That's you know? what's fucked up. I think like why it's hard for people to accept this fact is because for like Hundreds, hundreds of years, sex work was this unfortunate situation that you landed in. Right. So to try and- Some girls love it now. Exactly. So like to try and wrap your head around what, like, uh, how how can you be happy doing this stuff? Like, there must be some lie or like, so it's really tough to- Yeah. For me, it's not, it was never really my thing. It was what I did to survive. So I don't really get that like joy or satisfaction. I don't look back on the good old days and go- man, that was a good time. You know, I genuinely stuff that down. But like, I see all these other people that are like, really proud. And I wish that I felt that way. Good for them if it's real. But I sometimes wonder if it is. Yeah. Well, you know, because right, it's so hard to wrap your head around a positive situation or like a, a positive environment. Right. I always try and think about every situation and every aspect of things. It's like every individual is as different as the next person. So in every category of person, you're going to have a unique person, you know? So it's like you have all these people who do sex work who are really confident in what they do and really proud of it. And maybe they are the anomaly that really just loves that job. (laughs) Yeah. I can't say that that's not possible. I, I believe that there's a, one of everything for people. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, <laughs> you think about like like Fet Life, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there, which is where I started doing my escort services. Oh, really? Uh huh. Yeah, back when nobody knew about that shit. Now it's like super popular. <laughs> I mean, when I saw it back in the day, it was it's the website itself looked terrifying. I was dude, like, dude, it's red and black, <laughs> covered in Satan, and then just full of like huge plugs everywhere, just like <laughs> massive shit and assholes everywhere, like. The scariest one that I that I had heard uh, was um, the fuck was it called? Um, but it had to do with blood transfusions. Oh my god! And it's like how? Yeah, yeah. How do you come to that point? So, like, when you talk about like, there's mm-hmm. all of these situations, right? Those people live normal lives. Oh no, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know that that's their thing outside. So, you know, I mean. I don't kink shame. Everybody has their own thing and good for them, you know, Um, unless it hurts somebody else. Right. Or children. I will fucking come for you. Well, and if you're not addressing your mental health. Exactly. Yeah. If you. But again, that whole if you're too deep in it, you don't. How how can you even know that what you're doing is is fueling this like trauma that you've been through? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and that's that's kind of why after a while I decided that it, it was doing more harm for me than good. But with the burlesque, the nice thing is, is Adrian, she really is a very patient and understanding person. She has gone through the ringer with me and she still treats me with dignity and respect. She's seen every shade of me and still treats me like a kind human being. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to put up with my shit anymore and she still chooses to. But she also gives me so much freedom to express myself however I need on the stage. And she doesn't ask questions. You know, she gives me whatever range I want to artistically create. And she lets me do as much or as little as I want, whatever I'm comfortable with. You know, if I'm feeling exceptionally insecure and I don't want to do a full burlesque, 
I just talk to her, you know? She's very understanding, whereas some troops I've worked with have been very strict and very, this is the only way it will be done, do it or get out, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, working with Adrian has been an absolute treasure. I would never, ever change that for the world. I've seen that girl grow, like, she's phenomenal. I cannot imagine living the life she lives sometimes, because it is so busy. (laughs) Oh, oh my God, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other, like, funny thing about Adrian is, like, the initial meeting, right? Yeah. Or people's initial impression is a little scary. Um, her, she doesn't have resting bitch face. She has resting. Don't waste my time face. Because a lot of people <laughs> want to try and meet her at the fucking bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she's working and tired. But so to have that right, that initial impression. Yeah. Of of her, and then when you get to know her, you find out she gives people second, third. Yeah. 25th chances. Like, yeah. She really is like very understanding. It's yeah. like, yeah. Her, her and Annie have helped me through some really hard times and they've been really good people to me along the whole ride. So I, I would not give up any part of my relationship that for, with them for anything, you know? Yeah. And, and that's one thing that's made burlesque easier for me. I think than it is for some people. It's because she lets me sit in a safe place where I know that I can do whatever I'm comfortable with and there aren't any expectations. If I say I can't help with a certain thing because I have bad anxiety, social anxiety, she won't make me do tips. She understands that, you know, because I can't peel through a crowd. Yeah. I It makes me anxious. I can't handle it. Yeah. And I can't show charisma when I'm sweating my ass off <laughs> trying to find the exits. Well, and you know, like there's the supportive crowd because I, I did yeah. common roots where they were doing uh, it would be a comic and then a performer, comic yep. performer. Right. Mm-hmm. And there there is a section of people who are just supportive and make sure that they're not going crossing any lines or doing yeah, yeah. Any weird shit. But then there's the outliers and they kind of look the same. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. it's hard when you're going through that crowd. How do you know somebody who's drinking and getting all fucking riled up? Yeah, yeah. How do you know that they're going to treat you with the same respect that the people that you know yeah, yeah. that are there to support you? Are, like, it's, yeah. I can't we've, imagine. We've had some issues before with some disgruntled people coming backstage and having them peeled out and stuff like that. You know, because we're dealing with girls that are dancing, Mm-hmm. You know, and the backstage is the safe place. Do not go back there unless you're invited ever. Yeah. You know, and we've had some people blast back there with all this entitlement. And it's like, you will be peeled out and you will be thrown out. Adrian has no time for that shit, especially. Yeah. But, you know, and for her, there's a lot of weight on her shoulders. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. You do because with- she's told all the time that she seems so tough that we all think she's this tough lady. I can't imagine like now she has to keep that up too to be like. But she doesn't want to. I mean, the thing I is, know, is she doesn't want I- people to think that she's just this bitch. She doesn't because <laughs> she's not. I know, but it's I so know. frustrating for her because people just assume that, and she's actually a really good person. I don't know what. Maybe people find her talent intimidating, or maybe her success because. I think- I think that's it, that she took on, like, she took that role on so quickly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and from what I know now. She's a natural at what she does. Yeah, well, but from what I know now, it seems like she, there was more like a role of a protector. Yeah. Because if she's there, then she knows 
how to make sure that these people are safe. Yeah. And that's what it feels like more now. Because yeah. I did a terrible job explaining like how I f- like felt about her when I first met her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're fucking badass and scary and I know. Like doing I've all that I've made the shit. mistake of calling her intimidating too, but I know the, how much that bothers her because she doesn't want people to think that she's unapproachable. Because genuinely, for the most part, she is. It's just like people have this. You can't expect for anybody to deal with as many people one on one as Adrian does every day and to always get 110% positivity all the time. Yeah. And when she's training people in and she's dealing with the rush and she's like the sole person in charge of all these areas, it's a lot. It's a fucking lot. And she's not always going to be ready to talk and hang out and have casual conversation. That doesn't mean that she's mean or a bad person. Just means she needs some space. She's busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to to wrap this up, this yeah. is I could go on for hours with you. This is yeah, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um we're in a new area, right? Yeah, yeah. We're mm-hmm. we're the age that like kids like Logan and my son Landon. Yeah, yeah. We look fucking old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. But we are also part of a, a generation where, like, we're encouraged to do these, like, fantastical things that m- make us seem like we're still young. Yeah. So I'm curious as to, like, because you still hula hoop and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how, like, what can people do to still, like, what do you do to still feel confident in who you are as a mother as an adult and does that make sense like yeah yeah um well i make sure that i spend quality time with logan of course but i also make sure that i give myself my time alone so if that means like i do the hula hooping um i will tell logan i need 30 minutes to an hour to myself to go outside and hula hoop and he understands we've had open discussions about mental health and a lot of uh open communication he knows that i have ptsd um, he knows that I'm on medication for it. He knows that working out helps me. That's fascinating. So, yeah. I know I just asked you to give advice, but God damn it. You're just going <laughs> to need to come back another time. So we yeah, for sure. Time. Continue. Um, yeah, we, we keep our lines of communication really open because I do struggle with some serious mental health issues. And it is so important that I make sure I'm on top of it. And that does include self-care. I neglected that for a long time, but... Going out and exercising and learning something new, that has always been my way to heal, you know? And so if I can go out and dance to music or if I can even sit and paint, just whatever. I talk to Logan, let him know if that's his free time to play whatever game he knows I hate, you know? (laughs) So it's like we kind of make it work for both of us where he does his own time, which also encourages him to have a healthy, you know, alone time too. Yeah. So I do my hobby, he does his, and we come back together and we watch a movie or play a game together, you know? So it's... Making sure that I take that time to explore things about myself in private, as well as individual time with Logan one-on-one. There's a balance in there. Yeah. Um, I didn't do it when he was like first born, and that was kind of when my spiral started. I neglected myself a lot, and I think a lot of new parents do. For sure. So it's it's learning that you still exist outside of being a mom or a dad. You're still a human being. Treat yourself to a show once in a while. You know, go go to an event that you normally wouldn't go to. But it's allowing yourself to have those rewards because dealing with mental health fucking sucks and it's taxing. Yeah. So. That's that's such fucking great. The, you're still a human being outside of these other things. Yeah. 
<laughs> so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, fuck, Miranda. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. It's funny to like be excited about trauma and all this shit. I know, but again, like it's it's these types of conversations. There's people don't know. I, yeah. I've told stories on here that people have never heard before. Yeah. And they think that I'm like this well put together person yeah. who can talk to people and be really personable. Right. But it took so much shit to get there. Yeah. And to do it in a healthy way. Like yeah. I was doing it in an unhealthy way for so long. So Me I, too. Yeah. I think shit like stuff like this is important to show people that you can go through literally hell yeah and then come out the other side and want to do better for others yeah yeah and i hope that that's how it's perceived by others because i mean as much as i wouldn't wish a lifestyle like what i've lived through on anybody else um i hope that at some point i can be there for somebody else who might need it or at least be an example of what it's like to be on the better end of it because i could have i could have overdosed i could have been kidnapped or you could anything you, you know i mean triple flipped yeah i could have triple flipped <laughs> very easily many times but you know i i made it this far and there was a few years ago where i felt like i kind of died inside but now i'm back in it and i feel pretty good so well fuck yeah, yeah. I, and i think i mean this is always like a tricky thing but because people say i deserve and a lot of times it's perceived as vain but i think you deserve happiness for not just karmically, like through what you've been through, but what I see you try to put out for other people. Yeah. I hope that people want to just shower you with, you know, dildos and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? (laughs) Even if they don't, it's not going to kill my spirit, man. I have always still wanted to help. Even if people shit on me like crazy. So even if they don't, I'll still be nice. No, you're fucking awesome. Uh, Thank you again for doing this. Yeah, for sure. To the listeners, be well to yourself.